Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Jesus died for me. 
blessing as we sing it this morning.
his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for you turn in your Bibles to John 15, John 15, beginning at verse 1. Several years ago, I ordered some of those DNA test kits for Adivy and myself. I'm always kind of intrigued by that, uh, heredit, that type of thing. I can't think of the word, but uh, history and family history and everything like that and looking at where you're from. I was always told that, hey, you're German-Dutch. 
father uh, families, German, mother's families, Dutch, and that's largely true. I, I thought mostly German, but actually just a quarter or, or 26% German. Uh, and I have actually more ties to Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. So basically, I'm a Viking in my own eyes. Every once in a while, they update those tests, and your, your percentages will change. And uh, it's all based on having just more data and everything like that. Well, one of the last times that it changed, they added something to that, and I found out I'm 1% Jewish. So now I consider myself a 1% Jewish Viking. That's who I am when it comes down to it. Adivy, you wouldn't know this from looking at her, but she's an eighth American Indian, uh, a great-grandmother, full-blooded American Indian. So my kids are Jewish Viking American Indians. That's who they are. (laughs) During this new year, I thought it would be good to go back to our roots and take a look at who we are as a church. What is our church DNA? And that's the sermon series that we're starting. Just like every person is different, every church is different, even in denominations, right? We're different. And we want to be the church that God calls us specifically to be. And so I want to remind us of what our church DNA is. Who are we, right? And that has to start with our relation to Jesus Christ. It has to start with a position. And that's what I want to look at today. We are followers of Jesus Christ, but what does that look like? My first sermon series that I had after being uh, placed as interim pastor was the Branch Life sermon series. And I don't know if you were here for that, but it's based on John 15. And so I just want to spend one week kind of returning to that passage and remind us that we're called, George, that he's out of here, we're called to be the branch. That's the challenge. That's what I want to challenge us. If if you need a, a New Year's resolution, That's what I want to challenge us this year to be reminded of, to be the branch. John 15, beginning at verse 1, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And the context is that um, less than 24 hours from this text, Jesus would be arrested. And then later crucified. So when he's saying these things, he knows that it's not long until these things are going to be happening. So these are important words that he's passing on to his followers. Would you stand in honor of God's word? John 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener or vine dresser. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, let it be a light unto our path. Father, help us to order our lives around it. Speak to us. Help us to have soft hearts, Lord, to be able to respond and to adjust our lives accordingly. Lord, grow us closer to you. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. Jesus uses some imagery in this passage that would strike his followers a lot more than it strikes us. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, that is loaded with a lot of meaning. Throughout the Old Testament, there is this imagery of the vine. And this imagery always pointed to God's people, the nation of Israel. Israel was the vine that God planted. But unfortunately, it didn't produce good fruit. And so instead, God's judgment was always on them. Isaiah 5 kind of illustrates this. It says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you that (coughs) what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. So you can see this vineyard or this vine terminology here. And when the disciples hear it, their minds have to be going to this place and thinking about this, this image of Israel's constant failure to be the vine, right? And the judgment that results. But Jesus is about to take this and totally flip everything around and bring the nation in a new, completely different direction. He says an amazing thing. He says, I am the true vine. In essence, he's saying, I am going to be what you have failed to be, right? I am doing what you could not do. This is a gospel (coughs) declaration. He's entering into their failure and saying, I got this. You tried to be the vine, but I'm the true vine. The type of fruitfulness that pleases the Lord, good fruit, that you've been unable to produce, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that possible for you. Well, what does that mean for us today? If he is the vine, the true vine, then that means that we need to really understand this. That we need to be the branch As the branch, verse 2, we need to understand this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. As the branch, here's some heads up, all right, if we're going to be the branch. If we're the branch and there is no fruit, then be aware we're going to be cut off, right? Cut off and then thrown into the fire. If we are bearing fruit, then we can expect to be pruned. I get the no fruit cut off part of this passage, right? If you're in Christ, you're, you're a Christian, your life should bear fruit. That should be a result of being connected to Jesus Christ. If there is no fruit, then there is no genuine belief. I get that. Sometimes you, when you have a tree, you have these little branches that grow out from the base of it or where there's the other branches. And do you know what those branches are called, those little things that grow out? Sucker branches, right? Yeah, they're called sucker branches because they always suck the nutrients away from the branches that really need it, which ends up hurting them. So what do you do? You cut them off, right? You cut those things off, and and I get that. But Heads up, because every branch that does bear fruit, right, he prunes. Oh, great, right? My preference would, of course, be to not be pruned. If I was writing this, I would say every branch that does bear fruit, expect to be blessed. That would be a lot better than expect to be pruned. What we have to understand, though, is to be pruned is to be blessed. So we need to ask ourselves, 
Are we bearing fruit? How we define fruit really matters. It's not the external religious type things that we normally think about. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's a, a Pharisee's view of fruit. Jesus tells us about fruit. The Bible, the Word of God, tells us about how Jesus defines fruit in Galatians 5, and 23. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Against such things there is no law. Our, our, our lives bearing this fruit, this kind of fruit, right? And, and our, our, our lives bearing all of this kind of fruit. Because notice it's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit that refers to all of this. It's not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's the fruit, singular. Are our lives doing this? They're all connected. And if you're like me, you're probably not nailing all this, right? You probably have some room to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Hopefully we weren't where we once were. Hopefully, in January of last year, we're further today than we were last year. I think all of us could say we aren't where we probably want to be, but hopefully we're growing. Well, in the Lord's kindness, he prunes us so that we can grow in these areas. In American Christianity, this isn't popular. There isn't room for difficulty, hardship, or even doubt. It must be because we lack faith if we're experiencing some of those things. You know you should be healthy and wealthy, but that's not true Christianity. True Christianity involves pruning. Christianity is a lifelong journey filled with a lot of wrestling. At times we wrestle with doubt, but we do so clinging to the cross. These times of prunings are seasons that come again and again and give us opportunities to grow if we allow them to. If you're in a season of pruning, it should be encouraging because we can come away from it with growth, with even more fruit of the Spirit, even more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Personally speaking, the, the biggest times of growth that have come in my life were born out of the most difficult times in my life. I, I don't thank God for those times. I don't ask God for more of those times. But I do recognize what he did through those times and the growth that came from them. You might be in a season of pruning right now, a season of wrestling, a, a, a time of fear and anxiety like you've never experienced before, a time of wondering what in the world is going on? What are, you, what are you doing here, Lord? Hang on, right? That, that doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It may, not, it may mean you're being disciplined, but it may not mean that you're being disciplined and that you're, you're just in a time of pruning. So hang in there and trust what God is doing through this time. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus is telling the disciples that they're clean. They're justified in Christ. Why? By reason of the word that Jesus spoke to them. They believed his word, right? They based their life on that belief about who he claimed to be, and so they were connected to him, and therefore they were clean. Keep in mind, though, these guys are 24 hours away from disowning him, right? Bailing on him, betraying him, and yet he says that they're clean. Peter is hours away from disowning him three times and, and literally calling down curses on himself, denying him. But Jesus says, you're clean because of the word that's been spoken to you. How could that be? We have to see position we have to see position in this passage. Our position is based on who he is, 
not because of what we do, right? We fail as the vine. We failed as the vine, right? But that's why he came, so that he could take our place and be the true vine. Just listen to the next, these next verses and notice the position that it talks about. Verse 4, remain in me. Another word, abide in me. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's all about position. It's all related to that. It's this idea of this union with Christ. That I am in Christ. And that he is in me, right? That way when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin and the things we've done wrong, right? He sees the righteousness of Jesus, He doesn't see our failures as the vine. He sees who we're connected to, who we're in, the perfection of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, right? We celebrate this in communion. We celebrate this in baptism, and it's all over the gospel message. We have this intimacy where we're welcomed, where we're reconciled to God. We rejected him, but he came. And he calls us back, and we're reconciled back to having a relationship with him. And get this, we're actually delighted. And if I'm honest, that's hard to believe sometimes when I look at me and and who I am. But that's the point. That's why it's so important to be the branch and be connected to him and remain in him. There are two responses when we sin. And it's all related to position. There's the account in Genesis, right, where Adam and Eve sin. They sin, and what's their response? They literally hide from God. Don't they? Crazy. They, they hide from God. But that's human nature. When we offend, we run. We avoid, right? But that changes with Jesus. And this is what's so stunning about this passage and what's happening here. Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, I will abide or remain in you. We are welcomed. We are delighted in, not because of what we do or what we don't do, but because of our position. We're in Christ. Period. Period. Don't add anything to that. We're in Christ, right? There is no reason to avoid Christ. Being the branch is all about staying connected. Peter is the perfect example of this, right? Matthew 26, Jesus tells his disciple, hey, this night, all of you, you're going to disown me. You're going to bail on me. And what's Peter say? Even if they all do, I never will. And Jesus says, hey, before the alarm clock rings, right, this very morning, you're going to actually disown me three times. And Peter doubles down and he says, even if I have to die, I won't disown you, right? And Jesus is like, okay, Peter. To his credit, when the mob comes, he pulls out his sword, right, and whacks off a guy's ears. I still don't understand the angle that that sword could take and just whack off an ear. But Jesus tells him, put away the sword, right? And he puts that ear back on And what happens? They all bail. They all run. Not long later, though, Peter's there with Jesus at the inner court in the same area, right? And a servant girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And we know Peter says that he's not. I don't even know this man, right? And then there's two more times he's approached, and even more emphatically, each time he denies it, he even calls down curses on himself. And after that third time he denied Jesus, 
the rooster crows. That's the alarm clock that Jesus mentioned. And the Bible says that at that moment, Jesus looks at him. Right? And Peter realizes what he did and what had happened. And he breaks down crying and he bails, right? He bolts. I can't think of something really worse to do to call down curses and swear that you don't know him. Especially when it's his darkest hour. Right? That's heavy. Fast forward though. After the resurrection, the disciples return to their old jobs. Peter's out fishing with his brothers and they're out on a boat and well, somebody sees Jesus on the shore. So they turn the boat around, right, and start heading for him. But do you remember what Peter does? Does he hide? Does he get down, hide behind the boat because of what he did? No. He jumps in that water, right? Because the boat can't get there fast enough. And he swims to him, and he runs to him, and he falls down at his feet. The one who had betrayed him the most got there first. To understand our position in the presence of God is to understand that in Christ we don't have to avoid God, period. But we can run to him regardless of anything that we've done, anything that we're guilty of. That's stunning, stunning. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. My friends, be the branch, right? That leads us to verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We have to be careful when we read this text because I think we take it uh, in a little bit different direction than it's meant. We, we know that if we keep his commands right, we can remain in him. When we know that sin causes distance in any relationship, when we offend somebody, it causes distance, right? But here's the thing. We tend that, to make that the focus of our relationship with God. The, the focus is on whether or not we sin. We hinge everything on that. And we try not to sin so that we can stay connected to him. But it doesn't work well because it's all backwards. Right? When we get this backwards, we actually step away from Christianity because it's all focused on us and what we do. But we know Christianity is focused in on him and what he's done right so that has to be the focus he's the vine he's the true vine we're not the vine right we have to focus in then instead on remaining in him if we remain in him what's going to happen our love for him will grow and guess what happens? So does our obedience naturally, right? Our desires go from selfish desires, the things that we'd normally want to do in the flesh, to spiritual desires, spirit-led desires. When we're the vine, we only have our own power. It's, it's Romans 7. It's Paul saying, man, I keep doing the things that I want to do that I don't want to do, and, and I'm still struggling with that. But if we remain in him, we get the Romans 8. We get the spirit-filled life, and we get freedom from sin. Amen. Freedom from those things. He gives us the power. He changes us from the inside out. If you're the vine, you're going to try to do the right thing and do everything under your own power, and you're going to be a miserable follower of Christ. When you realize he's the vine, and that if you remain in him, and that his Holy Spirit is leading you, that's when things start to change. And we changed from the inside out. We no longer want to sin, right? We want to please him because we're grateful 
at what He's done for us. As our love grows, so will our obedience. We don't work on our obedience in order to grow our love, right? Every time I I write a sermon, I come to a place where I have the so what. So what's the big takeaway? So what's the big challenge? The challenge is simple, my friends. Be the branch. That's what we're called to do. Be the branch. We have to fill our lives with, with things that stir our affections for him. And we have to remove the things that rob us of those affections from him. Bottom line, right? I want to fill my life with stuff that stirs those things towards him. And I want to get rid of those things that rob me of that. I'm called to love Jesus. I'm called to remain in him. And that will produce fruit. That will straighten the crooked paths. Some of you are struggling with things and you're trying to do it on your own power and it doesn't work. I spent too long trying to do it that way. It's backwards. Focus in on your relationship with him, right? Focus in on growing in your love for him, your relationship with him, and those things will correct themselves. It's the start of a new year. It's a perfect time to make some changes. So I want you to, I want to just challenge you in this new year. Pay attention. What stirs your heart for him? What robs you of your time and your affections for him? The things that stir for all of us are going to be things like church and fellowship, the word of God and prayer. Those are things that are going to stir all of our hearts, right? Those are the things that we all have in common. But here's the thing. God didn't make us the same. We all have this unique DNA. And depending on our DNA, there are going to be things that stir our hearts that don't stir other people's hearts. There are going to be things that rob our hearts that don't rob other people's hearts. So we cannot compare ourselves. So it's important for each of us to take an inventory and to look at what are the things that stir my heart What are the things that rob me? For me, certain sports can stir or rob. I almost got kicked out of my son's basketball game. I have trouble watching the Buckeyes, right? Certain sports, it's stupid how what boys doing, young men doing, can affect me can give me anxiety, can, why am I making such a big deal about those things, right? They can rob me. Are you like me? Probably not. You're probably okay with watching the Buckeyes or Michigan or whoever you're watching, right? But that's something that I need to be aware of and watch out for. But what about you? Maybe for you, it's the type of music that you're listening to. It can stir your affections for him, or it can rob your affections. I notice that if I watch a lot of TV, it desensitizes me to things. That's me. What about you? What is in your life? What stirs, what robs? Take an inventory of that and remove the things, right? And in their place, put those things that stir you. What's going to get in the way of you being the branch What's going to encourage us to stay connected, right? This has to start. This has to be the place that we start from this year. Because it all centers, it all hinges on this. It's what the Christian faith is all about. We need to realize, hey, we're not the vine. It's our job to stay connected to the vine. It's our job to to love God with everything, right? All of our heart, soul, and mind. And make that the focus of everything. And if that happens, everything will work out and be put in the right position. That, that's why we want to start with a fast this year. We want to intentionally remove some things that are getting in the way. Right? I, I hope, teens, that you do something, that you fast something. Because I know when I was a teen, I didn't have time for God. I didn't make time for God. But I pray you do. I challenge you. Fast something. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's 
phone's screen time. I know it's screen time, right? If you have a, a phone or something like that, I know it's that. Fast it. 21 days. Make it seven if you can't go 21 days. Do something. Focus in on your relationship with him, right? The closer and deeper our relationship is with him, the more obedient we'll be, the more he'll transform us, the more fruit that will be produced through us. Don't depend. (coughs) Don't base everything on what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Base everything on remaining in him and you'll get the order in the right way, right? All of this hinges on Jesus being the true vine being what we couldn't be accomplishing, what we couldn't accomplish. Connect to that. (coughs) If you're here and you're just like, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted trying to do more and be better and, and do the right thing. And I have to somehow read my Bible and spend time praying and have this relationship and, and whatnot. Don't look at it that way. Just focus on the relationship part. When, when you read your Bible, don't do it as a way to check something off the list. Just go to him and say, Lord, I, I don't even know what half the time I'm reading here, but I just want to spend time with you. And I want you to speak to me. And I want to grow closer to you. And that's why I'm going to do it. Right? Make, make that the reason. Make that the motivation. And spend that unhurried time with him every day. If you do that, verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. The God of the universe wants you to have joy, joy, that deep joy, not happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening, right? Joy is based on our position of being secure in Christ. He wants us to have this kind of joy, a full and complete joy. Here's the warning. Some of you are missing that. Some of you have traded that for happiness and you're miserable because it all depends on you. When you're doing good, you're good. You got it. When you're not doing good, though, you feel like garbage and you're missing out on that, right? You can't make it about that. I think it's actually the, the people who are more righteous more spiritual, that struggle with this, you make yourselves more miserable because deep down, you're trying to be divine. You're basing everything on you and how you're doing. Am I following Christ right now? Am I not following Christ right now? You're basing it all on that, but you're not the vine. He's the true vine. It's your job to remain connected to him. It's your job to realize there's no condemnation, right, when you're connected to him. It's your job to experience his peace, his forgiveness, his love, and let that change you. Some of you are making yourself so miserable. I know in my life it just led to complaining. I would go around complaining about things. And I go to other people and complain about things. And I talk to other people and complain about other people. And you know what I was doing? I saw them having joy. Those people who were less righteous than me, those people who were screwing up, and I wanted to point that out. I wanted them to lose that joy because I wasn't experiencing it. Are you a complainer? Are you a person that's constantly pointing out what things are doing wrong, what the pastor is doing wrong? Do you want to constantly point out people's sin? Not because you care that you want them to get away from that and be freed from that. You just don't want them to experience the joy because you're not experiencing that. Be the branch. Spend time in him. Remain in him. Find the joy that comes from that. 
and it will set you free, and you will want everybody else to experience that. When you see somebody in sin, you'll go to them, but it won't be out of a complaining spirit or, or anything like that. You'll just want them to experience that. You'll want them to grow. Your heart will go out to them because you'll know they're missing out on it, and you know what they could be experiencing, a place of no condemnation, a place of true joy that's found only if you remain in him and he in you. Amen? Would you stand with me? Hey, 2023, be the branch. Make that your motto this year. Be the branch. Focus everything in and around that, and it will straighten everything else out. Amen? Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that people would experience the joy that comes from truly knowing it's not about us. It's only about what you've done and our connection to you. Lord, I know there are times where I rush to have a quiet time, a rush to fit you in. Lord, I pray that this year would be a year that we would unhurriedly just spend time with you, make time for you, not be too busy for you. And I pray that in those times, you would change our hearts, you would sanctify us, you would call us, you would set us free from addiction, Lord, and that we'd bring you glory in everything that we do. Lord, let us be the branch. Father, we thank you for coming. We thank you for you being the true vine. May we be always connected to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be the branch.